live stream. Um, I'm excited to be teaching and be here with you tonight. My name is Scott Walker. I serve on the elder team here at Vero Bible Fellowship. And um, Pastor Greg asked me if I'd be able to teach tonight. And I, he's, he's actually in town. He was uh, visiting someone in West Palm Beach. And uh, I said, I would love to. I always enjoy teaching. Anytime we can get together and uh, study the Word of God and, and uh, hear from God from what He says in His uh, in, in the word in front of us, we're, um, it's, a, it's a good evening. It's a wonderful time. Thank you for being so faithful and being here. Um, it's so neat to see uh, the Bible study looks like it's growing a bit, and that's always a nice thing. I often wonder why people aren't in Bible study, you know, and I think, what would it take if, if we told them that maybe uh, Jesus might be coming and he'll be here? I mean, at the Bible study, would they, would they come and, you know, well, we've had, I've had a rough day, I don't know. Well, God gave you that day. You know, so um, excited to be here. So welcome. Um, tonight's chapter is, uh, you know, we teach, the, we teach the whole counsel of God. And to be honest with you, tonight's chapter is, is actually pretty difficult. It's, it's one of those chapters where I wish we could skip it. I wish we could kind of bounce over it. It's, it's a, but, you know, uh, again, it's the whole Word of God, and we need to talk about all the things that are in it. Um, and I'm not going to celebrate it, but we're going to go through it as a narrative and talk about it and, uh, and see what conclusions we can draw from it uh, and to see uh, perhaps what God is saying within this text. Um, if you're taking notes tonight, which I encourage everybody to do, I always enjoy taking notes. Some people have really good memories. Some people put it in their phones, which is great. But if you're going to title this evening's um, teaching... Uh, we'd, I'd like to call it basically the entropy of sin. Entropy meaning, well, we have a medical professional here, but uh, a scientist actually. Uh, entropy simply is uh, the expansion of something, the growth of something until destruction. You can also call it the escalation of sin. But the entropy of sin is what we're going to notice here in this particular passage. Uh, again, it's sober and difficult um, to watch the, the, the consequences of sin and how it carries out. Um, but it's, a, it's, again, we need to not skip over things because they're difficult. Um, talking about sin is seldom done in this day and age, and I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's important. So uh, let's go ahead and begin with, with prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us here tonight. We thank you for giving us breath this morning in our lungs that we could wake up and serve you another day. Lord, as we uh, study your word tonight, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit who was there and wrote this and was inspired as the authors wrote, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit who is present with us will illuminate this text for us, that we will stay true to the text, nothing will come out of it that is not there, Lord, and that through this text uh, we might be convicted or encouraged or have some kind of peace come out of this, Father. Be with us again tonight as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we were, we're in chapter 13, so if you'd like to go ahead and turn to chapter uh, for 2 Samuel, chapter 13. That's where we're going to be landing tonight. Um, but what I want to do before we actually begin the text is I want to talk about, I want to take a flyover, if you will. I want to go up at about 30,000 feet and take a look at what's happening right now in this text and what's, what happened right before it 
and what, what's going to happen right after it. And I want to talk about David, King David, who were obviously this entire chapter has been about in his uh, the, Israel. But if you'll notice, and you'll, you'll probably have maybe sensed it, and if you've written, if you've written any, uh, or not written, but uh, studied any of David, King David, you'll notice that he had a, a kind of a, a, medi- a meteoric rise from age 16 when he was um, anointed. Um, he, he, he rose, to, he, he was working his way into position, and then when he hit, when he hit age 30, he became king of uh, the lower areas, the lower regions, and then um, he reigned until he was 70 years old. So this era of his life, we hit chapter 11, was basically about his fall with Bathsheba, his, the murder that he had ordered of uh, her husband uh, Uriah. If you can picture that almost as, a, as the plateau, as the point at which the rise of, 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 of David and his fame, and not fame, that's the wrong word, but his, his kingship, so to speak, and then sin entered. And then from then, that point on, this point on, kind of where we are now, begins the consequences of evil, sort of the rise. Some people have said that in the second half of his career as king, if you want to call it a career, it was almost a shadow of the first half. You know, he, he, he struggled with, had so many falls and things that were besetting him through his family. So, um, so if, we, if we go back to chapter 11, uh, we talk about his sins, uh, and then turn with me, if you will, just back up a little bit to chapter 12, and this is what Greg taught two weeks ago, but I want you to notice in chapter 12, go down to verse, let's say 11, let's <laughs> Well, verse 11. So chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 11. And this is Nathan talking. So this is the Lord speaking, Nathan talking. Nathan said, Thus says, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Well, the second half of that passage does come to fruition. We're not going to talk about that, but that comes in later. But if you look at the first part there, it says, thus says the Lord. That means the Lord is saying this. This is coming directly from the Lord. There's no, no I think the Lord's saying this. Remember, we talked about prophets. This, this is the Lord saying this. Behold, I, speaking of the Lord, will raise up evil against you out of your own house. This is a result and the consequences of the sin that David had, the double sins, the sin, many sins, but the one of uh, the affair of him taking advantage of Bathsheba and then having Uriah killed. So this is the Lord declaring that here are the consequences. Here, here we go. Um, now, David did repent, and, and we'll talk about that because repentance is one thing. We confess our sins. However, there are consequences in it, and part of this discussion tonight is basically talking about, um, yes, we're forgiven as believers as we kind of go through this text, but there are consequences that we have to live with sometimes, and that's just the reality of the Christian walk. Um, So that's that's kind of where I wanted to start, just take a flyover, an overview to see where we are. So as we begin, um, uh, we talked about chapter uh, 12 a bit. So here's what I'd like to talk about at this point. I want to go ahead and kind of give you something to watch for as we look through this passage. As we go through this tonight, 
And I don't know if anybody, just by show of hands, has anybody studied this passage or gone through this passage, chapter 13? A couple people maybe. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a hard one. But here's some things I want you to watch for because the main, the main uh, thing we're, we're talking uh, through this um, is, is really about sin. It's, it's a horrendous sin that occurs in this chapter. Um, but there's sort of a process and an escalation of, of sin that begets sin during this chapter. So as we're going through this, just keep an eye on this. Keep an eye and look out for these things. So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write a couple things down, okay? So when we talk about the escalation of the nature of sin, oftentimes sin begins with a thought or a desire, okay? And that thought could be internal, and the desire could be internal or external. So it starts with a thought. Sometimes, not all the time, there are accompanying sins. That's number two. The third thing is when flesh takes over spirit, and that can be at any time during this process. So we start with thought and desire, accompanying sins, flesh over spirit. Rationale is suppressed. All, everything that makes sense is gone. Uh, and then the sinful act. And again, these things you're going to see tonight as we kind of go through this progression, and then the remorse and shame. So one more time, thought, desire, sometimes accompanying sins, flesh leads over spirit, rationale is suppressed, the sinful act, and then remorse and shame. Now, remorse and shame is interesting because uh, remorse and shame comes both with the believer and the non-believer because it's on the, written on the hearts of all people that sin is evil. People know that sin is evil. Now, with a Christian, a believer, we have remorse and we turn to Christ, hopefully. But the non-believer, they might have remorse, but then they get over it and they learn to cope in other ways, perhaps alcohol, perhaps drugs. Um, so those are just some things I want you to watch for because they, they play out very clearly in this text tonight. So also one thing I love to do personally because I'm a big, like a history guy, I love, I love context. So I, I wish this was larger for everybody to see, but this is because you get all these names of well, who is this and who the, who's playing here? How does this person relate? Well, I don't quite know how to tell you this or how to show you this, but let's, if you start at the top, just I'll, I'll just say it. There's Jesse, right? Jesse was the father of David. He was also the father of Shema or Shemaiah. Okay, so they're, they're brothers, okay, David and Shemaiah. Shemaiah had a son, Jonadab. Just remember that. So Jonadab is, is David's nephew, okay? Now David, during this time, I'll mention three of the wives. He had uh, the wife Ahinoam, who, uh, who, whose son was Amnon, who we'll be really talking about tonight. So you might want to make a note of that. Ahinoam gave birth to Amnon. And then Makah, I'll just talk about those two. Makah, his other wife, not Makah, but like Makah, however you say it, um, gave birth to Absalom and Tamar. Tamar, okay, so Tamar, Amnon, Absalom, they're the key players in this. Uh, Jonadab is a cousin, and then Amnon is basically a stepbrother to Absalom and to a stepsister, his stepsister is Tamar. Just to, I don't know, that, that might have confused you, I don't know. But as we go through the text, maybe, that'll, maybe I should have had a handout. But, uh, so just to kind of know those things, right? So let's go ahead and get into the text. Chapter 13, we're going to begin by reading verses 
one and two. If you're taking notes, I would probably call this part the obsession. So let's look at chapter 13, verses one and two. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. After a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Well, let me stop right there before we get any further. Uh, Loved is not necessarily loved like we think loved. Love doesn't like take you to the dinner and go to see the movies, okay? This, and you'll see that as we get going. Um, it's more of a, an, well, I'm going to call it an infatuation. Let's continue. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister, stepsister really, Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Well, there's quite a bit there. Um, so he was just on the contextual side, he was a half-sister. Uh, she was his half, half-sister. Um, and this really was an unnatural desire, an unnatural... Uh, it, it's very clear uh, in Leviticus who was to be with whom, okay? There were some things that happened with uh, certain people, but it was, it's clear, I'm sure he knew the, the, the Lord's decree on this in, in Leviticus. Um, but these were basically the lusts of the flesh. Let's just be honest. This was something that he was infatuated with her. He knew he could not have her, um, and he was just smitten, but in a very unhealthy, uh, demented way. So if you want to call this part, this is kind of the, uh, uh, the beginning, the, the seeds of, of lust, the thoughts, the sinful desires, the very beginning, right, uh, of, of this whole process. And again, this is not necessarily an easy passage. I looked at it, and there's far more easier passages to get through, but, but we need to get through this. So um, I think that the lust of the flesh are the, are the catalyst for this impending sin that's coming, but this is how it starts. Nothing was kept at bay. There was nothing that was repressed or, or turned away from or fleed from. It was something that was over and over. Just He was infatuated with this. So again, this is the moment where sin must be mortified in our lives. Have we had a moment where we were fascinated? Well, gosh, I... I you know, this person, or, or uh, maybe I can't live without this particular dress. I can't stand it. I'm obsessed with this. I mean, I know that's not quite the right correlation, but, but we all have things that we get obsessed with or that get stuck in our head or things that may, should or shouldn't have, but in all of our lives, we've had this. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. It says it clearly right there. Uh, I think that this is a point at which things could have gone the other way had that been heated. Of course, he didn't have that verse at that time, did he? So, well, let's kind of move forward. We're, we're kind of going forward with this. Um, and so let's go into the this next section. It's called kind of the evil plot. Okay, so there's something that actually, so you'll notice that it goes from this thought to a plot. It, it goes from just thinking about something and desiring something to, I think I'm going to take this and we're going to, I'm going to have an action with this. It's going to go forward. And so let's begin Pick it up in verse 3. So, but Amnon had a friend. His friend really was a cousin uh, whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Let me pause right there. It's not a bad thing to be a crafty man. But in this situation, it's horrific because he's evil. And it's good to be creative and crafty and come up with good ideas, but not here. This is not where, this is where something that was pure, perhaps in God's eyes, was taken for the, and used wrongly. And we'll see that several times through here. So he was crafty, but in a bad way. And he said to him, O son of, son of the king, 
Why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, this is David, right? Say to him, let my sister Tamar come to me or come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight so I may see it and eat from her hand. Wow. So, <laughs> so we've just gone from one sin of, of just a wicked desire that was unnatural to a second sin of lying and crafting and deception, right? So it's compounding. We, we talked about this at the beginning. So we start with one thing and then it compounds to go to another sin. So what happens here is this Jonadab, who's not a very good friend, he's not the person you'd want in the situation at all, um, He's guilty of aiding and abetting, basically. You know, if this was a criminal, if this was a case brought against him, he would be uh, called to trial. Um, he's also guilty of drawing David into this. This is something David didn't really need, and I don't know if David expected this, but David unknowingly is being drawn into this because ultimately he's the one that's going to send Tamar to Amnon. Okay, so this is just sin after sin compounding, and it's getting ugly and terrible. If it was a movie, it would be lauded these days, but this is horrific in my opinion. Um, so sin begets sin. We move from lust to lies. The stage uh, for deception continues, and the chain of sin escalates. Let's move forward. We're going to read chapters, or verses 7 through 11 at this point. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So at this, at this point, let me just pause right there. I, I don't think, from everything I've read contextually, from the, the, the commentaries, I don't know that David was a, he didn't know about this. He, he might have, now there's some people that say Amnon had a reputation because of some other things that were said, but I, I don't think that David knew that he was being drawn into this. So let's just kind of keep that in mind. So he said to Tamar, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. Let me pause right there. This is a game. He's not really, he might have been ill, but not to the point. This was just a, a ruse. It was just the manipulation at its worst possible. Just, and, and just, again, sin escalating, sin escalating, sin. And Amnon, send, and Amnon said, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber. In other words, his bedroom, that he, he could look out from his bedroom and see her. But he said, now send everyone away, bring, that I may eat from your hand. I just can't stand this manipulation. I can't, it just makes me angry as I read this. And it really brought up some emotions and feelings like this is horrendous um, thing, a, a trusted person. This is Amnon who was David's eldest. He was one that was likely going to take the throne. I mean, he was kind of next in line. So, I, yeah. anyway, let's move on. Yeah. And Tamar took the cakes that she had brought, made and brought them into the chamber to her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, 
he took a hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, sister, my sister. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a good point. He called her sister. I, 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 thought, I thought at first this was, he was just calling her sister because he was kind of her sister. But this is actually uh, uh, kind of a line of affection that's found in Song of Solomon. And, and they say that, my sister. And it was really like he was trying to romance her at this point and trying to appeal and trying to just one last. But at any point during this whole thing, this, this terrible moments of, 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 of manipulation, he could have stopped. He could have just drawn the line. He could have just backed out of this thing. But once you get into that sin, that deep sin, it draws you and you get blinded by it. And it's all you can think about. It's horrific. That's the nature of sin. That's the important part of this text is that it just shows that everything goes out the window. So, um, and then sending everyone away, it's just obviously this is flesh over spirit. This is the part where the, we talked about flesh dominating spirit. And that's where, that's where the points, you know, I mean, I think it began at the beginning, but his heart was bent toward evil at this point. Um, flesh was fully into control. He was a predator committed. Let's read, uh, let's kind of move along. Now, this is interesting. Before I get to this, um, this is where I talked about when rationale goes out the window, when we're just overcome with sin, when we're living in the flesh, giving into lust, giving into any kind of sin, whether it's pride or gossip or whatever it is, there's a point at which flesh takes over and we're in so deep that no rational thought can, can take place, can, can actually come to mind. And this is the point at which Tamar tries to, I think she probably knows what's going what's gonna to happen. And she tries to plead and, and rationalize. And I can only picture, you know, I've seen some of the stories of serial killers and those things. We've all seen them on stories about Ted Bundy and the things. And this is why this is so disturbing, because this is it right here in reality. And these are the moments at which the person is pleading. And so it's very difficult to get through this passage. Um, but I want you to, I want, let's go through this. And I want to point out uh, some of the things, the way she tries to rationalize this and, and what, what she's using to rationalize it, which is very real and true. So let's read, starting with chapter, or, sorry, verse 12. She answered him, and here's the first one. No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. She first starts with the law. She, she says, try to, try to, please have some common sense. You know you're breaking the law. This is God's law you're breaking. Please let that be a, can we just, you know, he, and then she goes, as for me, number two here, as for me, these are, the, these are the four things she pleads to try to rationalize at this point if you're writing these down. So the first one is she rationalizes with the law, the law of Israel, the law of God. And then she says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? In other words, she would be labeled a, a fornicator because you know that no one would believe him. Right? So she's saying, show mercy on me because as, as, as I were, if, if this occurs, I'm the one that's going to be pinned. You know that in this culture. So she, that didn't seem to phase. And of course, she keeps moving along. And she says, as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools 
in Israel. So that's the third thing. She knows he's uh, uh, next in line, you know, to the throne perhaps. And she's like, don't you know this is, if you do this, it'll destroy any chance you have. And again, he's just blinded, blinded, and you just can't hear it. He's, he's deaf to it. He's blind to it. She continues the last ditch effort here. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. She knows this really can't happen, but she's just saying, maybe David, David please, David, David will merit, will be husband and wife, and then this can occur. Nothing. It's horrific. Deaf and blind. Let's move on. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. I, when I first read that, I, you know, it, of course it makes us sick. It's difficult to watch, to hear. But the part that got me there is that where it says being stronger than she. This is an example of someone taking something that's ordained by God, the strength of a man guarding the, the beauty of a woman, or guarding the, um, not just the beauty, uh, the, the man is the, the symbol of strength to protect the woman, to watch over the woman, to guide the woman. Um, and he twists that part of it and uses that strength to accomplish a horrific sin. That, that in and of itself was just hard to, to grasp, let alone uh, the horrific sin. So I'm not going to dwell on it. Let's just kind of move forward with this because this is an interesting part of the sin, the sin path. Let's move on to 15. It says, Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, with which, I'm sorry, let me back up. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred which he hated her was greater than the love, well, the so-called love, the infatuation with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. Yeah, unbelievable, right? But she said to him, no, my brother, for this, is, this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other thing that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman. Now, I learned that the original text, he just said, put, put, put this out, put this creature out. Put, he didn't even use the word woman in the original text and dialects, but that was added uh, in the American. So basically, he's calling just put, like a dog, put her, put her out. Put her out of my presence and bolt the door after her. I'm going to just kind of pause right there. Um, it's just hard, hard to read that. Um, but I think the desperation of Tamar, knowing what she was going to have to go face at this point, she was willing to sacrifice herself to just stay and try, just please, just let me stay because it would be far worse than going out and having to, to, to the shame. But he has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's interesting, though, the, the, the hatred, how immediately he went from love, quote unquote, infatuation, he got what he wanted, sin came to fruition, and he was done. He felt, well, my, my guess, reading kind of some of the text, that he was, had an instant uh, a terror about him. He had an instant remorse. 
he had an instant uh, realization of the reality of what he did. It all hit him like a ton of bricks. But it was also just that insidious nature of sin and the realization of what he did. And, and uh, you know, if any of us have ever sinned, I think we all have, uh, we, we kind of know, we know that there's, there's a regret to it. Um, there's no question about it. And so, um, again, tough passage to get through, um, but just kind of want to point out a few things. Um, the second violation, treating her like a dog. So um, let's just move, let's continue, excuse me, to move forward with this. We'll pick it up in uh, verse 18. Verse 18, now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves. Uh, I think it was very similar to the uh, coat of many colors. It was a, it was a beautiful robe uh, from the, back in the day. Um, with sleeves, for thus were the uh, virgin daughters, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So, this, so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Let's kind of, just kind of stop there and reflect on that a little bit. Um, kind of the worst of the worst. Um, I think at that point she um, was marked, you know, no matter what anybody would say or what anybody would do, it's hard to kind of talk your way out of that one because uh, to come up against uh, one of the, you know, David's sons was going to be nearly impossible. Um, and so she was just... Um, in a bad place, mentally, her life. In fact, after this passage, we didn't really hear much about her anymore. Um, someday, perhaps we'll meet her in heaven and, and that we know where she is now with Christ and uh, that's the only uh, comfort we can have in the story of, of, with her. Um, but let's continue on. Um, uh, so we've kind of come through this, this whole sequence of sin. Just I, I don't know if you noticed those things, that, how it escalated through that. And that was kind of what we talked about at the beginning. It's one thing to notice in this passage that sin just has this chain of reaction sometimes and it draws other sins in. And it's just a, it's, it's a reality. It's something that we deal with as a human race and, and even as Christians. But we'll talk a little bit more about what our responsibility in that. So let's move on. Chapter or Verse 20, and her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? And I, I think he knew the answer to that. Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar, Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. I'm kind of going to pause right there. I, I, I think this is interesting here. As we kind of move out of the situation... Absalom, I don't think he's simply trying to just kind of give her a pat answer or her comfort. He's probably is true. I mean, I know he did comfort her, um, but he's not just trying to dismiss it, right? He's not just saying, oh, you'll be fine. It's just, you know, it's Amnon, you know, forgive him, you know. I think at that very moment, that very moment, he knew he was going to kill Amnon. He was going to take vengeance. He was going to take care of business at that very moment. So he's quieting her, set it aside. Let's move forward with this. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke, spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister 
Tamar. What's interesting here is that David was angry, but this is also one of David's downfalls. He did nothing about it. He did nothing about it. This is one of the, so not only is this coming to fruition that God has said evil will come from within your house. Here, here's happening. It just happened. He's actually beginning to falter as king. He didn't do anything about it because that was punishable by death, what happened. So he did nothing about it. And Absalom, again, uh, just sort of, he just sort of kind of went silent, radio silent with, with Amnon. Didn't speak good to him, didn't speak bad to him. He knew what he was going to do, right? Which is another part of David's house falling under ruin with evil. So let's move forward. This is a chapter where you know it, Amnon is killed. <laughs> and it kind of makes me happy, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I know that it wasn't God's plan. Well, it was God's plan. It was God's plan for, for <laughs> did I say that out loud? Mm. Man, the story just made, I mean, uh, I'm working on it for a week, and I'm like, I'm going to kill this guy, when I, you know, but I won't see him, though, ever again. So, but, um, yeah, I, it was the wrong, the wrong things happened all the way through this, and just sin begets sin begets sin. And this is, you can see why this is the downfall. Um, so, after two full years, let's pick it up in 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears in Balhazor, which, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Oh, here, here's the plan, okay? And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants, so in other words, King David, you come with us, and all the servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we burden, be burdensome to you. Um, he pressed him, but he would not go. I think he probably knew he wouldn't go. Yeah, he sure, he pressed him. Yeah, he probably knew David wasn't going to go. Here's the plan. Let's keep moving forward. Um, but he gave him his blessing. Uh, I do want to stop right there. Uh, one, this, this whole sheep shearing thing was, uh, remember, remember the story of Abigail and how David was so angry that he wasn't invited to, was it Nabal? Right, Nabal was sheep shearing in, in, the, in the mountains and, and David was kind of helping out watch the sheep. And David and his men were not invited to Nabal, that, that wicked man, wasn't, weren't invited to his sheep shearing party. And apparently it was a big celebration, a sheep shearing time. It was a festival. It had festivities and lots of food. And uh, so that's kind of what's happening here. They're going away to have this big celebration, sheep shearing time, and uh, they're going to have a great time with it. So just to kind of give you context of that, that was a common thing that happened. And so... So let's kind of move along there. But he gave him his blessing. And then Absalom said, if not, you know, in other words, if you can't go, Father, uh, please let my brother Amnon go with us. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants. Here we go. Here's, here's, here's the, the escalation, the sin beginning sin beginning sin. I'm kind of, yeah, how can I move forward? Uh, again, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it though, you know, but this, this is not how it should have gone. Um, <clears throat> then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. 
So the servants of Absalom did as Amnon and Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose and each mounted his mule and fled. So once again, right there, there, there was one more time David's reign, David as king, his, 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 his household was once again marked with sexual sin followed by death. He did it with Bathsheba and Uriah, and here it is with Tamar and with Amnon. The same exact thing. History repeats itself. Evil fell on his household just like it did the first time. Like father, like son. Um, Oh, exactly. They had it done. Right. Right. Great, great great point. Yes. Yeah. What an easy way to get out of a sin, isn't it? You know, is that what the mafia guys think? You know, do they, the boss, you know, and what, what Marlene, uh, Marine pointed out is that, uh, yes, David didn't do the killing. He had Uriah killed and nor did Absalom do the killing. He had him killed. Yeah. Like father, like son. Wow, great point. Thank you for that. Um, boy, this story just, it's just, it's crazy. Um, so let's, let's move on. Chapter, verse, I keep saying chapter, excuse me. Verse 30, while they were on the way, news came to David. Now, these were, they were on their way back, okay? Abs- and here's the news that David receives. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Whoa. David floored. Then the king arose. He tore his garments and lay on the earth. He's wondering. So at this point, he's probably wondering, this must be, certainly this must be it. This is what God was doing. Here's what happened. This is it. I'm done. You know, not really knowing exactly what happened. He, he says, but Jonadab... Now, this is interesting, and this kind of gives some insight to know what, 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 what um, Absalom was really doing. And verse 32, but Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Well, how'd you know that? For, listen here, for by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. He knew of the plan. He knew what was going on. And Absalom knew he was going to kill him from that day forward. Right? Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's son are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. So, not much more to say about that in that particular thing other than David thought for sure that was, the, that was it, but only to find out that his eldest, the, the one that was in line to be king probably, was, was dead. So obviously uh, he mourns. Um, now Absalom here, let's pick it up in 34. This is where Absalom flees to Geshur. But Absalom fled. He took off. He knew what was, he knew what was going on. And the young man who kept, watch, kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. They're all returning at this point. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, 
Behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. So, well, let me, let, me just, let me just wrap up the chapter here. But Absalom fled and went to Telmai, the son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Now that reads a little strange. But, but what's basically what's happening is, is he, knew, uh, Am, he knew the situation, he knew Amnon was dead, but enough time had passed where he desired to have Absalom back. He was ready. He, maybe, he had given, he, maybe he had forgiven him in his mind, but that's kind of how that reads. Uh, so in other words, David had, had resolved that Amnon was dead. He was sort of healed up, if you will, and he really wanted... Absalom back, and his heart yearned for to have him back, um, and so that sort of is how this particular chapter ends. Um, wow, what a, just a crazy chapter uh, again! But it's just you know the, the takeaways, the the uh, the the applications that we get into at the end here. Uh, there's a few things that we've learned here um, in this particular chapter. I'd like to go through those things. It was a difficult chapter. It's hard to hard to look at, hard to listen to, but a couple of things that I'd like to observe. Um, the first being, number one, obviously the nature or the pathology, if you will, of sin. Uh, you can see it take place. There's probably no better place in Scripture. I mean, there's a lot of places, but this is one where it's just so, so predictable, you know, the nature and the escalation of sin and how it, sin kind of goes and then brings along with it other sins and then compounds until there's just this ball of something you just you can't get out of once you're in it the flesh is dominant and no amount of reasoning can get you out of it some sins come and go some are like oh you know some guy pulled out in front of me and i you know you know there and then lord help me you know uh, but other things this insidious nature of these kinds of sins sexual sins um, can really really just uh, be so damaging and 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 just yeah exactly um so the pathology of it, uh, it's destructive, the nature. Let me read out of James 1. You don't have to turn there, but you could write it down. I'd just like to read this to you. It almost describes this to a T. This is from, written by James. He says, but each person, this is James 1, uh, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Didn't we just see that? Right? Chapter 15 goes on, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We just saw that. This is James talking about it in the New Testament. However, at each stage of sin, whether it's at the initial thought or right up to the actual point of committing the sin, we must remember that we as believers are not powerless, right? So we're tempted our whole lives. That's kind of like what life on this earth is about, whether we're believers or not, but especially as believers, I think we should become almost, I heard one guy say, I think it was Dr. Steve Lawson was saying, 
the, the closer we get to the Lord, the closer we get to Him in our, in our walk with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, our road to sanctification, the more aware we become of our sins. And they may, hopefully, or they're getting less. That's kind of the goal of the Christian walk is to sin less. But the awareness of them grows exponentially because, the, because our knowledge of the Holy God grows. And when our knowledge of the Holy God is big, then, what the, then sin becomes that much more horrific, right? That's what we measure it up against is Him. And so as we you know, are sanctified in that walk of faith, I always talk about that, um, sin should become more and more apparent. It should become more obvious to us. And hopefully we're sinning less, right? Um, the strength of the Holy Spirit as we walk. I talk about the walk of faith. Uh, uh, let me just read out of Galatians. You can just write this down if you want, but I'm going to read it to you. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, there we go, right there. There's a solution right there, okay? A, a help in time of need. Okay, so we'll not gratify the desire of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now listen to this. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So it's almost a system that's, a, a, that's in place, a check system, a check and balances. If we're living in the spirit and walking in the spirit, that's when people say I'm being led by the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. If we're in that, the natural consequence of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is that we will not desire or it'll keep those things at bay. You know, it's hard to sin when you're reading the Word of God, right, or when you're praying. Um, let me read something else. You want to write this passage down as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You might know this one by heart. No temptation <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's just a fantastic passage. These are just, and the list goes on and on. You know, so why are you talking about this? Well, I'm talking about this because in the Christian walk, we will battle sin, right? In fact, I would, I would go as far to say, it's not even as far, it's not even a stretch, but if you're battling sin, that's a sign that you are saved. If you're not battling sin, you're not aware of it, then I would say you're living in the flesh and you don't even know it, right? So we, a full awareness of, of, of the sins that we commit are a mark of being a true believer, right? So I think uh, we are going to sin. We have the Holy Spirit in us to help us, you know, through obedience and leaning on the Spirit, trying to resist the sinning, uh, but it does happen. Uh, sin does have consequences, though, and this is another big thing that we see in the chapter. This is the second takeaway. The first one was sin, the escalation, um, and how we can avoid that. And it could have, at every step along the way, he could have avoided. He could have just stopped, and he could have said, I can't do this, through the power, and, you know. But uh, if you will, though, turn with me to Hebrews towards the back of the Bible, Hebrews, it's after Corinthians, after Galatians, just before 1 John. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Because at this point, what I'd like to do is simply give an understanding of why, why there are consequences to sin. And, and, and especially in the believer's life, we go, well, shouldn't it be easy? I mean, now that I'm saved, I mean, shouldn't, do these things really, are these things really going to happen to me because I sinned? I thought I, if I confessed, I'd be good. But let, just follow along with me. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading, starting at verse 5. Starting at verse 5. So Hebrews 12, verse 5. And I want, this is, the, the reason we're going to do this is we're talking about why there are consequences, or we're going to obviously talk about discipline here. Uh, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And right here, this next part of chapter, or verse 5 and verse 6, this is from Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That right there should just make you giggle inside. That's wonderful. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, more respect, we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them to, to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, yes, we're going to sin as believers. Hopefully less as we move on. But sin does have consequences, and sometimes those consequences are truly discipline from the Lord. But we can see right here that His promise is that it's for our own good, right? So sometimes the consequences that we have to live with are maybe perhaps reminders that keep us in check for our own good so that we may draw closer to Him. So those are the two main takeaways uh, from that particular chapter that I saw, that some of the commentaries that I looked through saw. But um, I just want to kind of end with this. I want to close with this. Um, the beauty of the Christian walk is that while we do sin, um, I'm just going to read. Let me just read out of 1 John verse 1, chapter 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So in other words, yes, we do sin. If we confess our... Here, I love that. This is just this is my verse of the week, right? Yeah, Jackie's right. Are you agreeing with me here? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just... We need to dwell on that verse. We need as believers to anchor ourselves in the promise of that. And also, if it's not something you're doing, good grief, we need to be confessing our sin. Sometimes it feels like certain faiths or certain denominations have hijacked things. Like, I think a lot of people are resistant to the word confession because of the Catholicism and what that 
the way they spin it with the priests, but confession is a daily part, should be a daily part of our Christian walk. You know we're all sinning. Now, sometimes less, right? But it just says right here that we, we do sin, right? But the confession of sin is so important uh, to, and what confession means, it's simply agreeing with God that what we did in his definition was what it was. Not like, oh, I just, I messed up, you know, I, I, we're just that way, I'm Italian, you know, or what, you know, it's, no, no, we need to, we need to, we need to, sorry, no, I'm kind of Italian a little bit, but those sins that we have, the confessions we make, they need to agree with what God says about what they are. That's a true confession, right? And he is holy, he's our marker, he's our, he, we measure everything against him. Are we perfect? No. But uh, again, Steve Lawson, I love Steve Lawson, he's great. He said, how do you say it? He said, if we cover our sins, God will uncover them. And if we uncover our sins, confession, he will cover them. I love that. Isn't that great? I don't know if he said that or some theologian from thousands of years ago, but uh, maybe it was Spurgeon, I don't know, but it was good. So, you know, as we close down this evening, uh, difficult passage I think maybe some takeaways uh, we, we, did, we read about, but I think ultimately we need to leave here with our chins up, knowing that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we're going to sin. Um, if you struggle with sin tonight, if you have some things, um, again, ask the Holy Spirit to help you with things. He is faithful to not only forgive our sins, but He's faithful to to help us, to be a bolster to us. We are to live in obedience, but we have a helper, we have a comforter, and that's in the Holy Spirit. If you, if you can't think of any sins, ask your spouse. <laughs> or ask the Holy Spirit, to be honest with you. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some things you're doing that you're not aware of. You know, maybe that thing you do is just like, that, that's not really right. You know, maybe that needs to be confessed. Um, but, but don't wait allow confession of sin. We can see what the damage was of sin and how it escalated. Don't, let, don't go to bed. That's, quite, that's a cliche thing, but taken out of context. But, but con confess your sins. Do it, because he's faithful and just. And what that does is it creates a right relationship. We're still, we're still in his hand. Nothing can let us go. But sometimes maybe our prayers are not quite, they're not getting, you know, maybe they don't quite get them. Maybe our witness isn't there. We have unconfessed sin, right? Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the difficult parts of your word that are oftentimes just hard to read, hard to draw lessons from. But sometimes, Father, your word and this narrative is simply a display of the damage of sin, which you hate, Father. And just, it, it points us to you. It points us to the cross. Father, tonight we thank you for uh, the, the, the great exchange, Father, that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we had the opportunity to, number one, be forgiven initially, and as we confessed our sins, Father, but as we walk with you as children of God, that as we mess up and as we, as we slip up, Father, that we can confess those things and you mark them as forgotten. 
praise you for that, Father. And thank you that you hold, don't hold those things against us. I pray that as we go tonight, that you'll keep us safe and bring us back together on Sunday, Father. Thank you for all you've done in our lives. We pray for those who are at home that are not well, perhaps those that are watching online that weren't able to come tonight. Uh, I know there's several members of our church that are dealing with some issues not even related to COVID, just normal things. And I pray for those tonight that they'll uh, get rest and healing from those things. And just thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.